If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the letter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. We'll be looking at a verse in chapter 1 and and verses in chapter 3. Our main text will be chapter 3, but go ahead and have a finger in chapter 1 and chapter 3. They should be no more than a page apart or so. Before we do a little context, it's the mid to late 60s AD. The Emperor Nero has unleashed terrible persecution on the church. Families are being fed to lions in the Colosseum. Christians that will not recant of their faith are sewn into the skins of deceased animals and fed to animals in the, in the Colosseum. Others are soaked in tar and stuck to walls and set on fire to be a set of torches for festivals and parties that Nero is throwing in his gardens. And we find a martyrdom that's coming down heavy on the leaders of the church. Two of the central pillars of the church will be killed during this persecution. Peter, who's traditionally crucified upside down, not not wanting to be in any way equivocated with the death of his Lord. And the Apostle Paul, who finds himself currently locked in prison, awaiting what the martyrdom that will come will be, which will be being beheaded. He's a Roman citizen, which is why he will be beheaded rather than crucified. Paul has been ministering for Christ around 30 years at this point, having endured literally everything you can for the sake of making disciples for Christ. At the very end of his life, we get this letter. 2 Timothy. The very last written document that we have of the Apostle Paul. And in it, he writes to one of his key pupils, a young minister named Timothy, who he has sent to build up the church and to equip it in Ephesus, one of the central uh, places, cities there within the Roman Empire. He knows the fears that are plaguing Timothy's heart as not only has persecution intensified, but so has the rise of false teaching. Not only this, but once faithful teachers and friends to Timothy, men like Demas and Hymenaeus, have abandoned the faith and have walked away for their love of the world. Timothy, I'm sure, felt very alone in Ephesus. And he knew that his mentor and his spiritual father were soon going to die. How was he going to lead his people in faithfulness in the midst of the darkness that was crashing around in the world around him? And in his final letter that the Apostle Paul writes to us, he writes to Timothy to encourage him, to embolden him, to strengthen him to stand firm as a good soldier of Christ in the midst of the darkness. But he does so in a fascinating way. He encourages and emboldens this young man to stand firm in the face of opposition and fear 
by reminding him not only of the glories that he has received in Christ, but also by reminding Timothy of the one who laid the foundations of faith in his life. Namely, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. This is fascinating to me because of all the examples that Paul could have called Timothy to in the midst of this dark hour to stand firm. He calls to mind the faith of Timothy's mother to stand firm in the midst of the darkness. So that little bit of context, let's stand together for the reading of the Word. Our first text, they're to go together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and then we'll flip right over to chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Flip over chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. Paul writes and continues, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infant sees the tender fountain, power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets, from them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission, here upon our natal sod. Keep, O keep, the young heart open, always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry, and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled for the hand that rocks the cradle 
is the hand that rules the world. This poem was written in the 1850s by the American poet William Ross Wallace. And there is much in it that I find profoundly true. But there is one stanza in particular that really sets the focus of where I'd like this message to go this morning. The stanza said, Woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh keep, the young heart open always to the breath of God. As much as I could spend hours on the hallmark sentiments of motherhood, how loved you are, how blessed we are by you, how your kindness and gentleness are pillows of grace that we rest our hearts upon, how you are more precious than rubies, more valuable than diamonds, how all of your children rise up and call you blessed and how your husbands praise you. I want you to know all of those are true. All of those are true. But as I read Paul's praise of Timothy's mother and grandmother, these faithful women of God, I saw something remarkable about the nature of Christian motherhood that is often missed and not stated enough. Christian motherhood is not primarily to be praised because of sentimental concepts. Christian motherhood is to be praised and honored because of its immense power and impact in spiritual warfare and Christ's kingdom expansion. Timothy was going to be a mighty soldier for Christ who stood firm in the face of immense spiritual opposition because of the unshakable foundation of faith laid and fortified by a faithful mother and grandmother. My friend, God established motherhood not simply for earthly intimacy, but for eternal impact. Motherhood is a call to spiritual battle. It's a call to battle. Because your impact is like no other. Hear this quote from probably my favorite preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He preached this in the 19th century. Quote, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. He goes on, Mothers, you are as much serving God in looking after your children, training them up in God's fear, minding the house, and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. End quote. I love that picture of a mother leading an army to battle. Because that's how the Scripture describes a beautiful and notable woman. Solomon, singing to his beloved bride, declares this of her in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. 
Who is this who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. I love what the King James Version says. It says, she's as terrible as an army with banners. Now, it doesn't mean they're bad. What it means is, is when you see, if you're an enemy and you see an army with banners approaching, it creates fear in you. It unsettles you if you're the enemy of that army. And this is the essence of what true godly womanhood is to the powers of darkness. It is a fearful thing. There is a lie from hell which says motherhood is weak. They've clearly never been between a mother bear and her cubs. There's nothing that terrifies me more in my runs in Alaska than to find myself caught between those things. When I met Ray, I I always knew she was beautiful and eloquent. And husband, sorry, I get the floor, so I get to save my life. I always knew that she was eloquent and beautiful. But I never knew her strength till she became a mom. I never knew the power of a godly woman till that one became a mom. And then I saw a ferocity that I don't want to get in the way of. And God help anyone else who does. And I know that is true for so many other women in this room. In an army, each banner or guide-on, as we call them in the service today, each of them are a reflection of another unit of strength that is available to be sent into the fight. Every banner is another unit of strength that can be sent to go and fight the battle. And and mothers, that army with banners are your children and grandchildren. That by God's grace will be sent out from the garrisons of your home and your life and go on to be mighty warriors for Christ. That just like Timothy, they will expand Christ's kingdom, advancing His light into the world of darkness around us. Here's the main thing I want us to get this morning from this text that we will see. The main mission of Christian motherhood is to prepare and equip children, grandchildren, and others to be faithful warriors for Christ, ready to live for Him in the face of all spiritual opposition. That's the essence of what we get from our text this morning. So with that, there are three things I'd like to say from the text that we have, or four things, but we'll go elsewhere for the fourth. The first is with this, this truth that I want you to hear this morning, mothers. Mothers, you are raising children in the midst of war. You are raising children in the midst of war. We see this in verse 12 and 13 of 2 Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul 
is talking about the immense persecution. Obviously, they're in the immediate context that's happening. But notice, he doesn't just say right now. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, where, when? Here, in Christ Jesus. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And this persecution will be marked even worse as the world continues to be deceived, as evil grows worse and darker. That's, that's the picture here. So not only do you have persecution against you, coming amongst you physically, but this war is taking place inward and spiritually, as, as there are so many things that seek to pull you and, and those little ones away from the Word, away from Christ Paul has been talking about this kind of spiritual warfare intensely throughout this whole chapter. And I want to look at how he started it in verse 1 through 7. Just turn your eyes upward a little bit. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, when did the last days start? They happened the moment Christ ascended to glory. We know that that's the case because literally at Pentecost, when the Spirit pours out on the church, Peter preaching and, and saying, This today has happened to fulfill what the prophet Joel said would happen in the last days. So the last days mark the period between first coming and ascension to when Christ returns again. That is the last day period. We're just getting closer and closer to the last days of the last days. But this whole period will be marked by exactly what Paul says there. Right? But what I find fascinating in this is that as we get to the end of that list of the issues that are marking this age... Paul seems to pinpoint women as those who are being directed within the crosshairs of this kind of attack. What is it about women that, that puts them in this kind of crosshairs of the enemy? That why, is, why are they? Because obviously we see plenty of guys who follow foolish to this crap all the time. There's tons of idiots, namely one of them, who's fallen prey to this stuff. So it clearly isn't women who's the only ones who are disrespectful for things like this. So, so why at the end there talk about how specifically these kind of wicked leaders are targeting women for their attacks? That's fascinating to me. Well, I think the answer is, is this. It's because if you can draw the woman away in deception to believe that her motherhood, that her being a wife, that her prioritizing family, if you, if you get her to believe that all of those things exist to keep her enslaved 
and unhappy that they will keep her from reaching her true potential, then you can sabotage that army with banners and turn the banners for the enemy. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. My friends, this war is all spiritual. Paul made this clear to writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, no matter what form or incarnation this spiritual war, this evil wants to take, it's all spiritual. It's all a spiritual battle that you're a part of. There is a cosmic conflict that, go, is, that is being waged around us that if our eyes could be open for a moment like Elijah's servants, we would see a mass amount of battle taking place right now. Right now, there is spiritual war in this very room as there are enemies which seek to, to take your thoughts and carry them away, which seek to pluck the seed from your heart while there are, there are angelic hosts fighting them off and protecting them under the sovereignty of God. Ensuring that they do not touch his people. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So this is not a battle of where some days the demons get a little bit ahead and the Christ has to fight back. No, he's always in charge. He's always over it. But it doesn't annul the reality of the war that's taking place. It is real. And mothers are particularly in the crosshairs of it. What this shows us from 2 Timothy is that this assault on women has been true long before the rise of the radical feminists of the sexual revolution in the 60s. That was just another incarnation of the same thing. Just different forms, different approaches. Which rather than embracing the power and beauty of God's design and femininity have sought to rob the women they said they were going to empower. By rather than embracing the beauties and strength and power of womanhood, they said you should be like men. What? But though we, we were strong and powerful. Yeah, but we got to be like men to do that. It's a lie from hell that seeks to undermine the beauties and power and strength of what makes you uniquely you, ladies. That no man can ever seek to be, no matter what they try to cut off in the process. Women were marching, demanding and fighting, doing everything they could do to try and obtain a sense of power because they were painfully aware of the feminine power shortage that God created in their hearts. He created the true sense of power within them to live and to extend dominion over all creation alongside Adam. And yet they would run from that. Rather than embracing the power and beauty and impact of godly womanhood. Rather than serving alongside faithful godly husbands to help bring dominion for Christ and to extend His influence over all creation. They sought to undermine everything God said which was true about them. To adopt a version that looked more like men 
than it did what God called women to be and do. Those who said, in order to find our true strength, we need to kill the children that we once so loved and cared for. This unique capacity that you alone as a woman can bear. 100% of the people that are alive today were born of a biological woman. 100%. There are no other ways around it. This incredible capacity that you know and is so greater than anything we could ever do. We are weak. You ever seen a man with a cold? We're done for. I mean, that's, all, that's the only thing worse than a pregnant woman is a man with a cold. Because we have to suffer so much. But beyond that, you ladies are next, right? No. Right? This is something so uniquely powerful. And the thing that gave you the most incredible power to create an image bearer in you. It said the greatest way to find your strength is to kill it. My friends, Eve was not named for her wifely beauty. She was not named for her intellectual capacity, all of which were there. She was named for her motherly impact. She will be mother of all living things. Eve. It was her motherly impact that her name was established by. We have been slowly brought to believe that empowered women are those who have detached themselves from traditional views of women. When all I see in the scriptures of traditional views of women are powerful women. I don't see weak women in scripture. The weak women I see in scripture are the ones who buy full into what the world sells them. I don't see weak women for those who follow the Lord. It is traditional views of women, which is where their strength and power and beauty are found. These unbelievable, powerful forces for good that God has given the world. As a fellow image bearer with their compatible, perfectly compatible partners. Social media perpetuates images and stereotypes. I love it says that these deceivers are those who enter the household to go after woman, to lure them away with sins and vain pleasures. And my friends, social media and television has given no better opportunity than to invade the home. Our phones have allowed people and scenarios and things to be said and spoken and brought into our home that we would never let walk through the front door. But social media perpetuates images and stereotypes which serve to make women feel embarrassed by their growing bellies or or their stretch marks, which are nothing in reality but divine artwork that says life is safe here. Life is welcome here. And I know the beauty and power of that. I've seen it so wonderfully in my own wife. 
lies that tell women that those who would dare choose to, to prioritize children or to maybe forego a promotion so that they can spend more time at home, that, 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 that role for women of, 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 of bringing children into the world and raising up little ones and doing that, that is for the underachieving and undereducated. Not knowing that some of the most educated women I've ever met are homeschool moms. Thank God. Because they are raising up an army with banners. What a foolish thing. What a foolish thing. And a foolish lie from hell. It is those women who seek to ridicule other women for choosing those paths. For falling in line and, 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 and desiring to glorify God. Not merely by their labor in this world. Because there's a place for labor. The Proverbs 31 woman was one who faithfully labored in the market. But also prioritized her relationships at home. So, so it's not a, an either or of, of can I have a career. But here's the reality. Your primary mission will always be to your little ones. Always be to your home mom. And we'll see that when we get to Father's Day. It's going to be true for you men as well. If a man does not keep his own house, he's worse than an unbeliever. So it's not about putting those against each other. It's not, it's not, it's refusing to believe the lie that your motherhood somehow makes you a second class citizen in this world. When in reality, it's one of the primary things, the primary thing that God gave you to multiply image bearers in this world. And to bring forth an army with banners that can absolutely lay waste to the kingdom of darkness. No wonder it's you who's in the crosshairs. It's those women who undermine other women. Who go after their, their foolish ways and vain pursuits only to end up with an empty life. Those are the weak women Paul talks about. About those who buy hook, line, and sinker into the lies of the world that God says about the beauty and glory of womanhood and motherhood which, start, which extends far beyond anyone's ability to bring forth children. It's not just about bringing forth children, but it's never less than that either. About the beauty of motherhood. Your impact on little ones, your impact on other women are beyond pale. So don't you be swept away by those lies, moms and grandmas, and those of you ladies in this room who may not yet be married or have children. Don't you dare be swept away by the lies that you always need to live in the shadow of men. When God has created you to shine in your own unique and perfect ways. And that together, in perfect complementary fashion, we shine together for the kingdom of Christ. God, help us men to never be wicked agents who are used to perpetuate those lies. Well, there wouldn't be abortion if men wouldn't take, up responsi- would, would take responsibility. And all those things. I, I, God help us. I will not be a part of that lie. So, in order for faithful women to be able to stand up and be who God's called them to be, men, we must stand up. And protect them. Promote that for what is truly there. Turning away our eyes from the wickedness of what it paints women, how they ought to be in the world. And praising and celebrate what God says they are.
and who they are. For it is them that we must praise and children must call blessed. Ladies, this war has come against you because not only does it want to consume your life, it wants those of your children. If it cannot devour them in the womb, it will try to do so in the classroom or through social media. I want you to know the transgender movement radically affects young women in greater proportion than it does young men. It is three to one. Three to one affecting young women under the age of 18 than it does young men. Mothers, the enemies in this war will lie to make you believe that your primary mission is to make you and those in your home and your life happy rather than holy. Your call is to make it holy. Your call is to make your home holy ground. Where there is no place for the enemy. Here. Ladies, do not be weak women. Easily deceived by the lies of this world. You've been empowered and equipped by God Almighty to be spiritual shield maidens with the capacity to protect your husband's heart, defend your children's lives, and have mighty kingdom impact for Christ in the battle that we live in. And what Paul does for Timothy here in the next two verses is to make clear to that young man, you stand firm in the faith because you were not raised by such weak women. Verse 14 and 15, we see that mothers, you must equip your children for battle. You must equip your children for battle. Verse 14 and 15, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul could trust that Timothy would stand firm in the faith. That he knew the foundation that Timothy had been given from Eunice, his mother, and then from Lois, his grandmother. He knew that no matter how much the earth shook around Timothy, his foundation was steadfast and sure because he'd been equipped for the battle. From the time he was a child, we were told his mom had taught him the truths of Scripture acquainted him with the sacred writings. That would have been the Old Covenant, the Old Testament writings, that period. But nevertheless, she equipped him with the Word and prepared him for the Messiah. God desires that we raise up godly offspring in the nurture and admonition in the Lord. That's exactly what Eunice, his mother, did for Timothy. Now, this would have been a bit shocking because in the Scriptures, right, the economy of God's home, the primary spiritual leader is that of the father. So where in the world is Timothy's father at in this situation? The answer is Timothy's father is an unbeliever. We see this in Acts chapter 16, that he was an unbeliever. He was a Greek, whereas that refused to, to believe upon the gospel. Acts chapter 16, verse 2. He, he was a Greek. However, uh, Timothy's mother was a faithful Jew uh, who came to the knowledge of saving faith in Christ and perpetuated that to Timothy and put him forward many ways like Hannah did with Samuel. Put him forward in service to the Lord. It is absolutely true 
that fathers are to be the spiritual heads of their homes. But don't you ever think for one second that that either undermines or calls the mothers of homes to be spiritually idle in their teaching and instruction. Because the discipleship of our children is a partnership, not a dictatorship. And that is made clear by the writer of Proverbs himself. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Notice that the instruction of your father and the teaching of your mother. It is co-discipleship in the home there. A a good analogy of this is in in the military in many ways. For those of you who've been there in the military, right? The officers have all the authority, right? They're the officers. They're the ones who lay down the rules. They've got it. They're commissioned by the president. They have the the final authority on the matter. However, underneath them are NCOs or non-commissioned officers. These non-commissioned officers do not have the the legal authority that the officer does, the platoon leader or whatnot. Nevertheless, who do you think is primarily responsible for the training and upbringing of those soldiers? The NCOs. Now, they lead with the intent of the commander. So the commander's intent says, this is how we should lead. This is what we should do. And then those NCOs take that intent and they bring it to life in those soldiers or airmen. They bring it to life. They are there with them day in and day out bringing that to life. And guess what? In a battle, if the commander goes down, that NCO takes the lead. And unfortunately, in this fallen world, that's, that's reality, right? There are, there are people, we, we believe lose someone through widowhood or we may be a single mom in this world. And I want you to know today, you're there. You've got the lead. Mom, if it's you in just the home, you've got the lead. And you lead them. You prepare them. And you equip them. Because the battle determines it. The NCO, when the, when the, when the, when the commander goes down, doesn't say, well, where it's over. No. They fight. And they take the reins and they go. And that's what you have to do. If that's you. But nevertheless, even if there is that commander, day in and day out, you're the one in the trenches with them. You're the ones there preparing and equipping and training. This is the call of motherhood. I very much agree with Pastor John MacArthur here when he writes, quote, To be a mother is by no means second class. Men may have the authority in the home, but the women have the influence. The mother, more than the father, is the one who molds and shapes those little lives from day one. End quote. Absolutely agree. Your impact on your home, moms, is beyond all comprehension. You influence more than you know, and you build more than you see. You influence more than you know, and you build more than you see. Henry Ward Beecher once wrote, quote, What a mother sings to the cradle will remain with a person to the coffin. So what you should be providing for your family, mothers... What should you be providing for those children, for those people in your life, for the the opportunities you have to influence them? What should you be doing? The answer is you should be preparing them for battle. Show them what it looks like to cling in desperation to Christ. Show them the power of prayer. 
Charles Spurgeon said, quote, The power of a mother's prayer with all her children kneeling around is far greater than any public ministry. Abraham Lincoln once said, quote, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. End quote. There is nothing more powerful in this war world than the prayers of a mother. I believe that with all my heart because I'm the testimony of it. Moms model what it looks like to live in peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and joy. Display for them what it looks like to deal with others in truth and love. Exemplify what biblical reconciliation and forgiveness looks like. Give them a mom who loves Jesus more than a mom who does everything right. Don't be a facade mom. Show them what it is to cling to Christ in the moments of weakness. What it is to struggle and still hold on to Him. Because that's what they'll need. They don't need uh, clean yourself up. They don't need stoic mothers. They need spiritual ones. They need to see what it is to embrace Christ in the difficulties. To em- embrace the forgiveness He gives when your own shortcomings. They need you to be a disciple of Christ in order to make them disciples of Christ. Give them a mom who humbles, humbles herself under God's loving plan even when it's not her own. Show them what it is to submit to Christ even when it doesn't seem like this is the way I wanted it to go. To have a mom that says, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Give them a mom who trusts that God is bigger than our baggage, failures, and circumstances. If your children come to you with mistakes, give them Christ. Always give them Christ. Let them see that He's bigger than baggage, that He's bigger than your failure, that He's bigger than your circumstances. Don't provoke them to wrath against Christ. Point Him to Him all the time. Give Him Christ. He's bigger. I know you're their son. I know you're their daughter. But He's bigger than that. He's bigger than your mistake. He's bigger than your prodigal moment. He's bigger than it. Be be transparent about your own shortcomings and failures. What Christ did for you. Give them a Christ that's bigger than your baggage and your failures and your circumstances. Day to day, give them Jesus. And pray to God, Lord, make them your own. Pray like Hannah. God, use them for you. And empower them to be mighty soldiers for your kingdom and glory. My friends, I want you to know, ladies especially, hear me today. You will never be able to kill all the serpents that seek to slither into the garden of your children's lives. You can't kill them all. And so what you need to do is not focus all your time looking outward trying to kill all the snakes out there, but instead focus on those children and their discipleship so that you can train them up to be serpent slayers themselves. Don't try to spend all your time worrying about killing all the other serpents. Teach them how to kill them. Because there will be a time you won't be there. There will be a time you won't be there to fight for them. And they have had to be equipped 
so that they can cut the head off those serpents. Teach them to be dragon slayers. Because you can't kill every serpent that will creep into the garden of their life. So show them how to. Moms, you can't keep all the snakes out. So equip them to wield the sword of God's Word, which is able to make them wise unto salvation. And so we see here, thirdly, moms, God has given you the greatest weapon to equip your children with. Verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man, literally the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may not think, I don't know what to give them. I've messed up so many times myself. What can I say to them? Maybe you're afraid because you've had a rough life and you're afraid to be called out as a hypocrite. Guess what? We're all hypocrites. There's only one not hypocrite, and that's Christ. So give Him Christ. Go to the Word. Show them that you're conforming yourself to this daily. and That you're growing and seeking help where you fall short. But give them this. It is the breath of God. Theonoustos, inspired. It's the only thing we have that is inerrant and infallible in what it teaches. It's the one thing that you can give your children that will never steer them the wrong way. The Word of God is the most indispensable gift and weapon you will ever equip your children with to deal with the darkness that they will face in this life. There is nothing that the Word cannot help you with or through in this life. First off, we're told it's needed for salvation. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. So in order for your children to be saved, they need to hear the Word of Christ. You've got to give them the Word. You've got to daily give them the Word. Read the Gospel to them. Preach the Gospel to them. Give them the Word of God because that's the only way they're going to come to saving faith. Give them the Word. Don't rely upon your flesh. Don't rely upon your family lineage. Rely upon the Word and give it to them daily. For the Word is what produces faith in the heart. We are told here that the Scriptures are good for teaching. That simply means the Scriptures show us what God desires for us in this life. It shows us what God has given and prescribed for a life that has not only lived for His glory, but that has lived for our good. There's a reason why we have wisdom literature. It's that not only can we glorify God with our lives, but so that we can actually be wise in the way we live. That it might go well with us. Secondly, we're told that it is for reproof. Reproof is where we seek to instruct our children on the things that God abhors. That which is evil and wicked. That which would stir up judgment. And it also serves to show where our actions and our words are out of line with His will. Let me show our children that. Why shouldn't we lie? Proverbs 10.31 Because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Why should we honor and, and obey mom and dad when they teach you? Because it's the first and only commandment that has a promise given to it. That it might go well with you. Give them the Word. Let them see 
Not just what you're saying. Well, it's because I'm mom and dad. But show them the word. Show them the word of why this leads to disaster and destruction to stay on this path. It is for correction. And the purpose of correction is to align ourselves with the singular person of who Scripture testifies of. It's Christ. So when we're correction, correction is about alignment, right? Who or what are we aligning ourselves to? The image of Christ. We want to look to Him and align ourselves with that. And so we take Him to the Word and say, this is what Christ wants for us. This is how He lives. This is how we should love better and we should forgive more and we should serve and embrace others and and live with, with humility and compassion and care for the world. But to stand for the truth of God in all situations. And then lastly, training in righteousness. This is it. This is how to live faithfully. How to live faithfully and completely in this world for the glory of God and the mission of Christ. Equipped for every good work. What else would you want to give your children? But to be equipped for every good work. Equipped so that everything they do in life, none of it will be vain. That it will store up for them riches and treasures in glory where moth and rust is not corrupt. What else would you want to give them? The glorious reality that they will be trained up for every good work unto completion in Christ because of the perfect word. By equipping them with the word of God, you are giving them the greatest weapon for the warfare they will face. Hear me, moms. Your kids are going to face the war. And they're going to start facing it a lot sooner than other, a lot of us did. I lived in small town Shelterville. And had no idea half the stuff I'd face going out of there in the army. Though I was a wake-up call. And these kids know things now in elementary school. They didn't even know existed until I was in the, my first year in the army. So the answer isn't, let's just, let's just closet them. No, it's prepare them. Equip them. Teach them. Yeah, you see that there? You know, when they, when they ask you questions, oh, we don't talk about that. Let's close off our ears. No, 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 no. That makes it taboo. And making it taboo makes it interesting. Because I promise you, if you won't give them the answers, the world will and there'll be all the wrong ones. So be open with them. Be honest with them. Cultivate conversation in your homes. Yeah, it's going to be weird and awkward at times. But God, I'd rather it happen when I have a little bit of control over them than I would when they're out in the world and I got no attachment anymore. So if it starts young, it's okay. Cultivate it. God has given you the Word. He's given you the tool to help. Pray. Go to the Word. Give it to them. The Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the only thing you can give that's going to go directly to their heart. You're going to say a lot of things that are going to fall on deaf ears, Mom. And it may seem like that's what the Word of God's doing. But it pierces to the heart. Whether they like it or not. So don't lose hope, moms. Don't think it's a waste of time when they're little. Did they even understand what I'm saying? Don't don't think that. That's a lie. That's the enemy wants you to think that. Don't think it's a waste of time when they're rebellious and not listening when they're older. You keep giving them the word. 
And heed the promise of Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water and earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed and the sower and the bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You heed that promise and you give the word to those little ones and you give the word to the rebellious ones and you just keep giving it. Don't lose hope. Don't ever think it's a waste. You just keep giving the word day and night rain it upon their hearts. Sow the seed into their lives. So that even if they are prodigals, by God's amazing grace, perhaps one day in the midst of the darkness, the light will come by saving grace and the floodgates of all of the water that you poured into their souls will come bursting forth with a flood never seen since Noah's time, which will wash away all the impurities of their hearts, all the impurities of their soul and make them once again walk to the father's home to know the peace that is there. So you just keep giving it, even when it doesn't seem like it's making much gains. Because that is exactly what Eunice and Lois did. And it helped their son in his darkest hour. Here's my final point for today. And this goes outside of our text, but I think it's important to note. Mothers, your influence extends beyond your home. One of my favorite passages is Romans chapter 16. This is just the greetings. Paul's just giving out greetings at this point. But he says this to one of his friends, Rufus. Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I lost my mom when I was eight. That was it's terrible. But God rescued me by flooding my life with godly women. Whether it was godly grandmothers. I'll never forget one specific woman who was a Sunday school teacher, my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, Miss Evans. Miss Evans and her husband had been together for 30 years and, and she was she was infertile. Never able to have children of her own. But that woman has opened her home to more people and brought in more of us orphans, spiritual orphans in some ways. She's in every way a mother to me as so many others. And a mother to countless others that she's impacted in her life. I was blessed to be given an amazing wife Unfortunately, our wives have to grow us up within the first five years and sometimes 50. And then I was given an amazing mother-in-law. Who, Though we may all be on some different spectrums on certain things of theology. I have never learned how to pray more from another woman than my mother-in-law. And I'm so thankful for all of them just as Paul was to Rufus' mother. Motherhood is a capacity. Hear me very clearly. Motherhood is a capacity that is given to all women, regardless of fertility or infertility. 
And it must be embraced by all women in their actions and lives towards others. God is going to send many people into this church who are in desperate need of the passion, love, and faithfulness of motherly women. Who know they have been created by God to help raise and equip the next generation of warriors for Christ. And every person that you influence, ladies, is another artillery blast against the kingdom of darkness. That is why Paul, through Titus, would give these instructions to the women at the church in Crete. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that, they, that the Word of God may not be reviled. What Paul is saying there is that older ladies, you don't get to retire from your divine mission. You are continuing to perpetuate faithful women of God. You're raising up more faithful women of God and more faithful women of God who will be armies with banners. Who are going to train up more and more warriors for Christ until He shall call you home for glory. That's always going to be your mission. To raise up more and more so that the next generation will be blessed and the next generation will be blessed until the Lord shall return. I want to make as many blows to the kingdom of darkness that I can in my life. That's got to be the call. It's got to be your heart. Imagine all the playgrounds in this city. Imagine all of them full of children who know what it means to be truly loved. That they know God and they know His people. Hearts full of the stories of God's faithfulness. Swings that are weighed down by children who are living in the joy of the Lord. Children who know truly who they are and who they were made for. Imagine college campuses all over the world getting bombarded by missional Christian students who will become the next doctors and lawyers and scholars and teachers who believe they exist for the sole purpose of bringing glory to Christ. Imagine future homes filled with faithful moms and dads sitting around a couch singing and studying the Bible together. What you imagine, my friends, is not beyond reach. I hope you believe that. It's not beyond reach. It starts right now. With faithful moms and dads who say, I will not let my faithfulness be determined by the circumstances of the world, but by the word of my Christ. And whether he comes tomorrow or in 500 years, I will be faithful. You have no idea the ripples that will lead to. We have spent far too much time over the last century and a half waiting to be evac'd from the war rather than preparing to fight it. Just come and take us already. Who needs to be idle? That's exactly what the Thessalonians were doing. Paul says, stop with your idleness. Until he comes, you must be faithful. And it will get worse as the age comes. The darkness will get worse. But that doesn't mean the church should get less faithful. 
It just means that the line will become clearer of who is faithful and who isn't. So fight the war that you're in with the weapon you've been given because it's not, you've got the greatest weapon of all. God is calling women to their powerful and glorious and world-changing work. The great good work. His work of silencing the enemy and the avenger in the victory of Christ. So Mother's Day in the church is not about celebrating sentimentality. She can learn that. AI needs to hear it. (laughs) Mother's Day in the church is not about celebrating sentimentalities. It's about celebrating and honoring the glorious role of motherhood and the women who have faithfully lived it out, advancing the kingdom of Christ as an army with banners. That's what we celebrate Mother's Day for. So I want to close with a poem that I wrote for our mothers this morning. Mothers, I know it is hard to raise a family right Embracing countless sacrifices, enduring the spiritual fight. Don't you dare believe the lies that no impact do you make. You build more than you see, foundations that cannot break. Mothers, remember on this day a lesson tried and true. The greatest mission of a mother is for Christ to be seen in you. The world is full of darkness, lots of toil, pain, and strife. So the hand that rocks the cradle must be a hand that lives for Christ. Let's pray.